Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly. And I'm Rob Schulte. And Bill, today we have a guest. The man who taught me how to create an analog mix minus via an online video in 2017, greatest generation music mastermind, and YouTube cooking sensation Adam Ragusia. Adam, welcome to the show. That's the weirdest fucking resume I've ever heard in my life. But you remember random mix minus video you did from almost a decade ago, I did. Right? That was like ninja uh, MacGyver style mix minus. Yes. Right? And some of us needed Ninja MacGyver style Mix Minus at that point in time when we were struggling in Brooklyn. It was crazy. Like it was this era of the, for people who don't know, this is just like, it was an obscure fucking podcast technology thing that is the easiest thing in the world to negotiate in the year 2023. (laughs) But in 2015 or whatever the fuck that was, it was like really hard Um, without, without like a big big ass soundboard and you know a union guy behind it yeah um and i uh yeah it was this crazy thing where it's like the technology for us to bypass that entire studio and everything it stands for Mm -hmm. was there like we had the the laptops and the and the flash audio recorders and the and uh and the voice over ip and all this shit and like but it was just taking it that last mile and making the shit talk to each other and handshake and and not have just like you know weird dropouts and oh my god it was such a frustrating time such a frustrating time and i love that we have survived the mix minus wars and are zen castering to this day (laughs) bill uh sorry uh a little pod talk there for a moment from behind the scenes hope hope you are still with us that's fine with me. I'm just glad all this panned out because that allowed uh, me to go down the pod roulette wheel with the goose when I was big into the Billy Joel Gordon Sumner phase of historical podcasting he was into back in the day. So Yes, for the people who don't know, I, with my dear friend uh, Meg Donahue, made a show where we listened to every Billy Joel uh, album and made fun of them. And then we uh, embarked on the same with uh, the sting and the police. And we got as far as uh, like when his solo album started to get real shitty. And then I had (laughs) my second baby and then we were just like, nah, (laughs) I'll just leave it there. Yeah. uh, To that point, I feel like you. So, you know, the title of the movie we're watching is in the the description. But I, I think this is like finally making good on a podcast idea you had back in the day about swords and movies involving swords. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Damn it. See, cause I moved away. And uh, so Meg and I don't Things live in the happen. same city anymore, but, but yeah, we should revive that. We wanted to do a, like a, a, a show about like movies about swords <laughs> and we were going to call it license to crenellate. Yes, yes, that was it. Which that for people who don't know is a real thing. Like crenellations are like the notches at the top of the castle that you can kind of hide behind and then like, you know, duck out of it and shoot your arrow and then duck behind it again. <laughs> and there was, you know, periods in history where, you know, in, in order to crenellate your home, they're mm-hmm. thereby fortifying it, thereby making it defensible, thereby turning it into a power center that could potentially rival royal authority, you would have to get a license to crenellate from the king. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, license to crenellate. That's a fucking great. I, oh, shit. I shouldn't. Well, your people have got to be good people. They're not going to steal my idea. No, 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 no. Plus, yeah. uh, 
it's now copyrighted, everyone. We have put it here. It's a virtual trademark and patent. Right, exactly. It. Yes. So yeah, don't go to Home Depot and think this is some weird thing. Like if you go to Arby's and order some weird thing off the menu at two in the morning, you'll get an eight foot tall roast beef sandwich. If you just go, okay, hey, crenellate aisle two, that's not going to get you anywhere. Not at all. Not at all. Now, now, now when you're going to crenellate your home. <laughs> you got to want to make sure <laughs> you use a sufficient <laughs> sized rock, hewed out of absolutely granite, and then carried up by a bunch of slaves and put together by gravity, not mortar, because we don't have that technology at this time. Now, you guys may not know, but I had to sign a document saying I would not do the This Old House voice after leaving Greatest Gen for uh, 15 years. That's so, the kind really? of thing those motherfuckers I would know, do. I know. And That's they the kind also, of thing they would do. They well, also like make me make these like weird music choices for their podcasts where oh, I where I don't use all trash, of the, the songs. The best part of the thing that and I then, wrote, and then just because it was it on at the me. end and nobody bothered to listen all the way to the end. I know. You're now it, into the like, actual war part, everybody. This is the war podcast we came here for. I mean, oh. they they make these weird choices, blame it on me, and then start an internet beef that has to be squashed on Bill and Rob's and X. I just want to point out that so. What you're referencing is that uh, I, in a in a, in a, dra- a greatest tra- are most of your listeners fods? I would think? say yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So in a recent greatest trek, the boys and I were talking, and and uh, we were talking about the old greatest trek uh, theme that I wrote for the greatest discovery era, and how my favorite part of it was a part toward the end that uh, for you know wh- whomever was editing the episodes at any given time who could say who could say? who could say who knows uh, never seemed to dip into that part of the song and that always frustrated me but I I sort of said that as a joke I, and it totally makes sense and I'll tell you this I was uh, perturbed for about a minute and a half and then I realized it's all good I don't even remember why I didn't use that part of the song. <laughs> And then it became a template, and then way more Star Trek shows started coming out, and I could not turn back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to continue my Adobe Audition template, and uh, because I don't know if you know this, when you change anything about a format style with a huh? podcast with a huge audience, yeah. uh, you will hear about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You will hear about it. I'm yeah, not sure well, if that goes for YouTube. Everyone seems to be pretty nice on YouTube. So what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Guys, should we get into today's episode? I don't know what kind of shop you run around here. I, Bill, then I'm asking you, are you ready? I am ready to charge across this field filled with proverbial pikes and drimmers and muskets and get into this movie let's talk about some cromwell from 1970 rob how do we inform our audience what this movie's about well i found the laser disc and i feel like in the the tradition of reading the back of the vhs box which i also have we all know this uh i will read what it has to say and hopefully give the audience an idea and then we'll go through our patented segments uh to talk about aspects of this film that really jumped out to us. So here's the back of the sleeve. 17th century Britain is a hotbed of revolution, treachery, and court intrigue. And standing in the center of the tumultuous storm is Cromwell. 
Richard Harris stars in this dazzling historical epic as Oliver Cromwell, the fiery, ambitious commoner who took on the monarchy and almost single-handedly changed the course of Western civilization. Alec Guinness lends his formidable presence as the enigmatic and forceful King Charles I. The clashes of these two great figures are fought in castle corridors, on the floor of Parliament, and finally in a rousing battle between their two armies. One man will become absolute ruler, the other will be executed. Featuring strong performances and gripping battle sequences, Cromwell's England comes alive in this historic tale of power and passion. Rated G. That's rated G? It is rated G. That's surprising. There's some battlefield gore in this. Yeah. And I guess it's just that weird uh, pre-Temple of Doom, uh, you know, 1970s, like, well, it's historical, so the kids are learning. G. Sort of was thing. Temple of Doom like like a watershed moment for that? Were like were like were mm-hmm. we all of us who were traumatized by seeing a hand tear mm-hmm. out a heart? Yeah. Like they Yep. Bill, what is it? Do you know you know probably the factual evidence of this better than I? Well, you know, it's they wanted Indiana Jones to be watched by kids, but it was fairly gory. So it didn't count for PG. They certainly want to give it an R. So that's where you start get the middle ground of PG-13. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it meant nothing really at yeah. the end of the day. Cause every kid that wanted to see a movie back in the eighties would goddamn go see that movie one way or the other. Cause you just walked in and you went to the other door. That's yeah. how that worked. So I thought yeah, PG 13 was just like PG cool dad. <laughs> PG like, 13. If you had a cool dad, you could see that movie. But, PG 13 yeah. meant you would get a shit instead of a damn and yeah. you might get side boob or a butt. Might get a Possibly. butt. Yes. Possibly could get a butt. So many butts in um, Temple Cromwell. of Doom and Cromwell, really. Yeah. Uh, so, Bill, why don't you walk us through what we do first on it? Well, I can, you know what? Actually, before we get into the patented segments, I think Adam Ragusea, we need to know why. Why did you choose this film for us to watch today? Yeah. So, how did I get obsessed with a t- like a, a legendarily hated film, which is the nineteen <laughs> seventy Cromwell biopic starring Richard Harris and Alec Guinness. Um, A movie that like is pretty much exclusively, it really exists to be shown in European history class in (laughs) high school in, in in the 1980s or nineties, maybe, you know, that's really its only function is to be shown in European history class. So the teacher can grade grade tests and such. Yeah. Yeah. Coach has finals next week. So exactly. No lessons today. Yeah. Civics yeah. class, maybe. Did either of you have to watch this in school? Uh, didn't no. have to watch this. I did have to watch 1776, the musical. Yeah. So this is like, the, this is the British 1776, really. It's just like, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the wars of the three kingdoms, as they're called now, back then they would have called it the English Civil War because it would have been Anglo centric, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you could just say the execution of Charles I. Um, is the easily the most important event in early modern English history. It's so it's it's fully equivalent to like, you know, the, the Revolutionary War or whatever. And it's kind of like I feel like this movie is done so badly in <laughs> in so many ways that I feel like an American kid watching this in in civics class, you know, 
at fucking, you know, Hooverville yep. High School in 1992 on a, on the fucking media cart, you know? <laughs> they roll yeah. it in, it's movie day. But I feel like I feel like that kid watching this film would be like, "Why why did they make a movie about these events? Mm-hmm. Nothing about this seems interesting." But it's like t- to ask that question would be to say like, "Why make a movie about the signing of the Declaration of Independence, you know, because it's it's like the foundational myth of the modern British nation, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and myth is a word I choose intentionally. It's, just, it's this is a mytho historical account. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so how did I, why am I obsessed with it? Um, well, I'm just kind of obsessed with, you know, historical combat films sure. because um, I I'm a man. <laughs> uh and i like all male identifying persons you reach you 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 sniff you sniff you get the first whiff of the autumn of your life <laughs> and if you weren't already interested in military history you become interested in military history yeah it's just, it's something from deep inside your union you know collective memory or whatever i'm um, currently listening to an audiobook on the history of the war in vietnam Oh, so, Jesus. It, it happens is, to all of us. Well, welcome to, to the Brotherhood. Yeah. I must have been an old man a long time ago because I, was, I liked Patton when I was a teenager. Some so. people get started early. The cool yeah. ones get started early. But that some of us, it takes, it, you know, but it gets it gets all of us. So anyway, so I just watched all all the sorty movies, basically, that mm-hmm. I could get on Netflix. And so years ago, I was just like, oh, Oliver Cromwell. Oh, is that Richard Harris? Holy shit. <laughs> he who, the man who brought you such hits as MacArthur Park is melting in the dark. <laughs> the man who showed up on the Dick Cavett show with a giant bruise on his face from being in a bar fight on the way to the show. I know. Was it with Peter O'Toole or something like that? Not with O'Toole that oh. night. He got that one on his own. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was like, whoa, actually, oh, fuck Alec Guinness playing Richard, uh, playing um, Charles the first. Mm-hmm. Like, Whoa. Cause that's perfect. Cause he looks like Charles the first, like, um, so I was like, okay, I'm down. I'm, I'm down like a clown, Charlie Brown. And I start watching this movie and, uh, you're like, and you're you just used hit to- with it's, it's bad school playedness, you know, it's very school play. The writing, yes. Yes. um, very nakedly expository, must tell you about the political context in which this story takes place. Yes, Parliament has not set for, for these past twelve years, and you know, <laughs> and then and I would oppose any move to do so. It's all this very with a voiceover for that, you know. Oh, like, oh, like, God! All just of... so, just so you know, this is what else we think we couldn't fit into the dialogue. <gasps> Fuck, man! It's so, it's so didactic. Um, in a way that is so obnoxious. Um, and at the same time, a lot of it's just kind of basic movie making in this is just, is, is some of it is great. And some of it is terrible. Like it's, it's, it's it's all over the place. It's not in control of its tone. No, Um, it doesn't really know what it wants to say about Cromwell. Um, and it contains numerous, enormous historical inaccuracies one of which i think we should wait to talk about to the end okay there's one historical inaccuracy that is not only enormous it's like 
actually meaningful. It's not a quibble. It's not an IMDb goof. It's like it's this 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 inaccuracy is a is 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 people run around talking about harm way too loosely these days. This is actually like a harmful inaccuracy. Oh. But it takes place at the end of the story, and I think we should just kind of save that to the end because. I'm really going to spend most of this conversation defending this film because for whatever fucking reason, I just kept watching it. And each time I watch it, I like it more and more and more. And I keep realizing that so many of the things that I thought were bad were actually like, oh my God, that's actually like the most genius solution to the problem of trying to condense this history or something like that. Like I keep, I keep seeing more and more correct decisions and I keep seeing more and more obvious holes in the criticisms of the movie like, um, you know, so the, the, the biggest, well, other than the, the inaccuracy that shall not be named yet, <laughs> the, the second biggest inaccuracy in the film is that it massively inflates the role of Oliver Cromwell in the events of the English Civil War um, and indeed the entire Wars of the Three Kingdoms. What we see in this movie is a period of history of about 20 years. And at the beginning of it, Oliver Cromwell is nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, he's, he's a, he's a member of parliament in the house of commons, but he is like the definition of a backbencher. He is very, very minor country gentry. Um, he's, he's, and he's been, his, his term in, in parliament has been completely undistinguished. Right. Um, what happened was that he just sort of turned out to be by luck of the draw, like an instinctively great military commander or specifically a great cavalry officer. And, um, and just over the course of these events, he became he kind of climbed the ladder of the army right Ah. such that and and then and other guys also fell away so it's not like he was the prime mover of these events it's more that like there was a bunch of guys who did these things and he was the one who was left standing at the end and therefore got to be military dictator for life is basically how it ends so very much Um, a uh, right place right time situation but also right guy like he you know i think historians are pretty in agreeance that he was an extraordinary person, um, perhaps not necessarily as great a military commander as kind of an earlier generation of historians mm-hmm. would have said. More recent historians assess it kind of a lot of it was luck. And a lot of it may have been sort of um, self-manifesting luck, like basically um, Cromwell's everyone thinks from Cromwell's writings because he was an obsessive diarist and everything we can really get inside his head you know Cromwell's religious belief and his belief that he had been de- sent by God to to destroy the monarchy uh, and really for, for the purposes of defending um, Protestantism and destroying Catholicism um, he believed that he he really believed that he had been sent to do this oh, and wow. he believed that God was fully on his side and would not let him fail. And as a result, he just charged into situations that he shouldn't have charged into. And as a result, he kind of won because the enemy was like, oh, fuck, seriously? You know, (laughs) Uh, some some hubris working for him on. Right, exactly. And also the other thing is that like of the generals, because there were also there were many incredibly talented generals on the parliamentarian side. um, And. But. Unlike, say, Fairfax, who in the movie is the guy with the mustache and the long curls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so exa- here, there's an example, right? So, like, the movie shows Cromwell having personally envisioned and raised the new model army, 
the, the new model army himself, of which he is the general. And then Fairfax is shown to be the cavalry commander working underneath um, Cromwell. And that's, in fact, the exact opposite. Fairfax was the general of the of the new model army and Cromwell was the cavalry commander underneath him and second in command. But and they were both like brilliant soldiers in their own way. But the thing about Cromwell was that his politics were right. The army had gotten incredibly radical, like far more lefty radical than anything that exists in our country or countries. Are you, any of you guys in Canada? I forget. No, but I was huh. just there visiting. Oh, so. yeah. Like there's, just, I mean, like really, really radical, like leveler shit. People saying that like, we're going to get rid of all earthly lordship all lordship in the church there is going to be one archbishop there's going to be one king other other than that all men are equal like Whoa. that kind of really and we're going to and we have to make sure that we use military force to impose our form of protestant worship on everybody else right um so the, the army had had become this hotbed of radicalism and oliver cromwell, cromwell's politics are right he he maybe wasn't as extreme as the men but he was way more extreme than any of the other you know aristocratic generals yeah, they were um, going to listen to him. Yeah. So basically he, you know, he, he had the support of the army and he he believed he believed in what he was doing whereas the rest of the guys were getting kind of disillusioned. Fairfax became and it shows us in the movie him getting disillusioned at the trial. Yeah. It's just in in a point of fact he never attended the trial at all. He refused to attend. But um anyway, so all of that is like the biggest, you know, the biggest inaccuracy, second biggest inaccuracy of the film is that it makes Cromwell seem way more important than he actually was. He really only becomes that important at the very end of the story. OK, so but what you could say is like, well, how else are you going to tell this story? You need to turn Cromwell yeah. into a composite character. There's way too many fucking people in this in massive, sprawling epic that takes place three wars over three kingdoms over 20 years and all of these incredibly fascinating dudes. And there's different phases to it. And it's just like, no, you can't fucking do it. It's a movie. Yeah. So you make it one guy. Is and if you're going to make like it one guy, Cromwell's the guy you make it. <laughs> So a little bit different uh, than the Mel Gibson take of making a fake person for the Patriot. <laughs> God. Wow. The, have you guys talked about the Patriot on your program Not yet? yet? Not yet. Not yet. Because that, that is a truly irredeemably awful film. So bad. That is none that so like, I hate it because it's like in terms of technical craft, it's one of the best Hollywood films ever made. Yes. Like the cinematography in that is, like, don't go to film school. Just watch that movie. Like, <laughs> like it's so fucking good. The craft of it is so good. And to have all of that fucking beauty and artisanship spoiled and besmirched and spooged over by fucking Mel fucking Gibson's revisionist, revanchist fucking. It is. Rough. Oh, it is that's rough. always the tightrope of the movie is that when one in one direction, if you hate it so much. But then if it has some artistic mastery in the other direction, whichever direction that is, it's the most maddening movie ever because you can't fully hate it and you can't fully endorse it. You're just sitting right there on that fence while you're watching it going, make a mistake movie, do yeah. something wrong. Please do something wrong. That's just going to give me that 51% where I can go to sleep tonight. Don't and let me like you. Come on. This yeah. movie is one of those movies. Oh, is that, that's what happened to you? Yeah, it well, is. What, did, I mean, what got you? What, what did you like? Well, I, I I like the old school Honestly, filmmaking. Perfect. And, sorry, Bill. Go ahead. No, I I liked 
because this is a movie from the 70s, I'm always amazed by the scope of what you can pull off because you have to be able to do things. Raise oh, did armies. you want to talk about the opening scene, the opening sequence? It's it's one of my points in there. So it's actually yeah, one we'll of start, my fun we'll facts. start at the beginning. Yeah. Well, and I okay. think that, like, honestly, we we do like to start with fun facts. And I think you just schooled us in oh. these fun facts. So I think we can jump to likes and come back to any other points that we want to bring up. Bill, how do you feel about that? Uh, actually, I want to do one because I, I want to dovetail off what Adam just said about the Go opening. Go so this isn't so much a fun fact, but this is part of what hit me with this movie is for some reason I'm watching this thing and it's it's a really dynamic views of the countryside and some lone riders. The fins like the fins. Yeah. And for Fens some reason, England at dusk, or, no, no, not dusk. What's, what's the morning fucking, uh, at, uh dawn? It's dawn. 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 Yeah, it's yeah, right yeah. around dawn. Like a, like a mist, a misty dewy dawn yeah. over the fens of Cambridgeshire. It's and, fucking gorgeous. And for the dumbest reason I feel in my own head, I'm looking at this, I'm going, why do I have Planet of the Apes vibes? <laughs> I think I know why. Watching this. I Something think I know about- why. Something about the positioning of the cameras, the shots as they were framed, the lo- the two riders on horseback looking down, the music even struck a chord. There was a vibe in there. Did you guys like, notice the, the, the score in this film? Yeah. The score yeah. in this film is fantastic. Yes. It's amazing. I, I need to, hold on, I need to find this gentleman's name because uh, Frank Cordell yeah. fucking killed this gig. Yeah. Um. All of that, that rejoice in the Lord motive uh-huh. yeah. is so, it feels, I mean, it's exactly how that music kind of sounded at the time. Like it was just, it, oh, it was so perfect, pitch perfect. And, and, and uh. I'm immediately watching this looking like what's going to happen next. And I thought it was just some kind of weird coincidence because at that point, that's when Richard Harris spins around and eyes to camera and it's like <sighs> Cromwell. Fierce. <laughs> And it's oh my god! It's Blue Steel looking me right in the face. I what know. This, what did Ollie Fierce? Do? That's his nickname. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm going. That's this weird. And then I found with his out. fucking with his fucking mullet and his mullet swishing in the breeze behind him. <laughs> oh, and the words off to the side, like just dead to camera. You just everything but a whip crack was right where it needed to be. And I found out that a had actually Charlton Heston apparently was in the running for this movie to play Cromwell. But Do we know why why that didn't happen? Did he just he just didn't seem? I guess he just wasn't interested in it. He didn't think an American not American enough should yeah. be yeah, yeah should be playing the part. Which I often kind of I understand a lot of where that's coming but from. But that's absurd because this is but you're you know, what we're looking when you know when when United Statesians look at this film, we're not looking at English history. We're looking no. at United States history. This is. Because this is these are events that directly led to the American Revolution. This is the same people who did that. Well, it's the next generation, as the generation previous, basically. This, you know, this is our Phantom uh, Menace people. Yeah, that's yeah. what Cromwell. Is. <laughs> there you go. This is the fucking prequel of of the musical 1776 with 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 uh, the guy who did Kit in Knight Rider, William um, Daniels. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, so justice together, for the prequels. I'm just going to put that so, out there. So all that vibe together had me on board to see what was next. And it just kind of gave me the side thought of, I wonder, is the lawgiver related to Cromwell somewhere down the line? Because <laughs> the ape's future is all our futures. Mm. So, that's that's, that's, so that's inarguable. But I think one of the reasons why that sequence reminded you of Planet of the Apes is uh, the film grain. Mm. Did you check how grainy 
the it footage looks like, is in this opening looks, sequence. Yeah, it looks like they drug it across the parking lot on the way to the developer. It is. I know. Or like harsh. they sent it to like the bad lab, right? Yeah. Like, you yeah, know, like, like they got desperate and they sent it to the lab with the guy with the little ooh, ooh, problem. And, uh-huh. and I don't know, but it's just like, I was like, wow, they just, they could, that was good enough back then, huh? I um, won. I wonder and it's that also it's shooting with super long lenses to get, um, you know, stuff really far away. But they, those lenses, they wouldn't like um, they wouldn't resolve that far out. And so everything was like foggy. And it, and it made me realize that it, because I grew up on a lot of media shot in that age when long lenses couldn't really focus. <laughs> that to me, something being out of focus means it's far away. Yeah. And Is- I'm not I wonder if I wonder if more if younger viewers have that in their heads. Uh, well, I wonder interesting i is have never that, thought about that is that what caused the blue halo around the two riders because i'm going this can't be this isn't cg there's no such thing they shot this outside oh yeah exactly there's an example of that in star trek um star trek the next generation the first time we see gauron when he's in the background and the boys when they first watched that episode on the podcast remarked on how that shot was out of focus and how it seemed like it was a mistake and i was thinking no it communicates that he's far back Mm -hmm. in the room he's like in the background not yet to the fore he's one of the contenders who's there in the background for the throne it's all connected it's all fucking connected boys so connected um the one thing i'll just say about a fun fact guys that i I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple, but they're real quick. Mm. We don't see anything in Northern Ireland because of the troubles, and uh, so uh, everything was cut from Ireland in this yeah, movie. So like this they is, shot scenes. This is the inexcusable historical. Ah, well, then we can wait. We can we can bring this up later. Yeah, why don't we just bring this up? Yeah, later? Let's do it now. Okay. you brought it up. So this movie shows Oliver Cromwell. You know, uh, there's a civil war between Parliament and the king over who gets to actually be in charge and Parliament eventually wins and kills the king because he basically shows that he 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 will never give up the fight and will not stop making alliances with Catholic powers, among others, to try to get his throne back. And so they have to kill him. So they kill him. They declare a uh, republic. a secular, well, no, the, the exact opposite, a, uh, a religious theocratic republic, a puritanical uh, republic um, ruled over by, uh, by uh, the House of Commons in particular. And, uh, and then the movie shows Cromwell sort of doing all of this and then going back to Cambridge because he's lost his son in the war, who, by the way, didn't die in battle. He died in disease in the camp like most men. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, so he like he's shown just kind of sitting by his fire, which, by the way, did you guys clock that fireplace in his like manor house? Gigantic. <laughs> oh, who? How badly do you want that fucking I, fireplace? I recently uh, was able to purchase a home and I was just thinking I made a mistake. I didn't get you didn't get one of those fireplace yeah. in my home with the this, the giant like meat hooks on it. Yes. <laughs> oh god, I want that. Could be making you know. Yeah, this is the fireplace that so much seventies porn could be shot in front of. <laughs> you could shoot two movies at a time in front of this fireplace and never have any bleed over on set. That's true. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. And indeed, they probably in order to shoot this at in this set, 
1969, they probably had to remove the shag carpet that was already there. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm sure that was very uncomfortable in their Puritan attire because that real fire is burning hot, son. Sure is, exactly. Well, but did you notice that everyone just looks wet all the time? Yeah. With makeup. What is up with the movie makeup? I Well, I did read something about this. They had said that like... They put they put a mole on Cromwell because Cromwell, yes. we know from his death mask, had a big nasty mole. Yeah. And they had um they tried to make the actors look more like the characters by doing like not just movie makeup, makeup that matched portraits that Fucking were painted of They these put loaf yes. on the guys. So Thick it's acrylic loaf. paint. Everybody yes. just looks like pasty and but also, don't you remember, it used to be that you had to have makeup to be on TV. Don't you remember oh, yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, my dad my dad was on this local game show in State College, Pennsylvania, called The Pennsylvania Game, a bunch. So I got to, like, go to, like, the, you know, go see dad do a TV show, a local TV show. Oh, yeah. And they always had to, like, powder you. Like, what happened to that? No one does TV makeup anymore. I've never, I fucking work on TV on the internet, and I've never used makeup in my life. It must, it must be filters, man. It must well, be... Was it that they needed to make faces more reflective because the 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 film was less sensitive? I don't know. Well, I think it's to brighten the face. That and they had to light them up so hard because the lights were so different back then that you've got to tone the actors back down, or you everybody looks because they're always shiny. That's what they always say. They're just super shiny. Yeah, especially shot fucking. um, This has got to be you know one of the last great um, Pana. No, uh, what's the color? Cine. Panavision. No, they say right at the beginning Co- with those shaky title cards. Yes, yeah. color by ugh. Technicolor. The, it, Technicolor. Yes, the three yeah. color process where there's yeah. two, there's three th- strands of film shot yeah. in the sequence. It's incredibly. It was incredibly expensive and labor intensive. Mm-hmm. This has got to be one of the last of those like great Technicolor productions. And for me, it's funny because it's like, to me, it looks bad. Like it just looks that makes it look old. Whereas like you see some, you know the deer hunter of a few years later, you know, shot on a six, you know, fucking a suit, basically a super eight camera, you yeah. know, that really desaturated kind of flat look. And to me, I'm programmed to think that looks better. Yeah. Not, whereas I look at a movie like this and this, these glorious fucking intensely saturated colors. And to me, it just looks cheesy and old. Yeah. And again, I- makes it feels very like didactic and something that I would get on the media cart. Mm-hmm. That will Pan that will pl- that will play into my dislikes later when we reach that point. So, mm. but in oh. honor of everybody, I just want you all to know I am wearing makeup for tonight's broadcast. Oh, so well, I'm old school in it. Mm. I got some of the red out. We really, really appreciate your your hard work and dedication to the pod. Bill. I know That's quality silly loaf. Yeah, and those those watching this, on did I get a our- ding? Do you guys do? Du- do you guys do dings? Quality we, Tilly we Loaf. Did. That'd be a good one. Quality Tilly Loaf is going to be the ding of this episode. We, like I said, there are certain legal things that I have signed a contract. Oh, for, indeed, yes. But the ding yeah. was not on the on the thirty five page contract, so we will be dinging this episode. That is for sure. Um, you reserved but, uh, dinging rights. Rob yeah. actually is wearing a collar that goes off when he does one of these things that yep. reports directly to Adam and Ben. And everyone knows this. They yeah. know this because they, whenever they've watched the videos of of these episodes, they see the giant collar. It's much like the um, 
Savage Land collars the X-Men had to wear on the animated yeah. series. So, Except the collar's not around his neck. If you want to guess where it is, well, viewers, get on social media and let us know. It's why we had to go Patreon, but not this episode. It's out to yeah. the public. Um, so let's let's do this, guys. Let's each go around the table and say a couple things we we liked. I know that we've already mentioned a few things we liked, but we can go likes... And then we might have to find a couple of things we disliked about the movie that we can just highlight for our listeners. I will start because I think it goes along this like film grainy sort of discussion that we've had. And that is that I love, like, say what you will about the Technicolor and the scratchiness and the shaky title cards and the blue halos and all of this. I love a good period piece that's not CGI'd to hell. Yeah. Right? Like, it's I can so, put up It's with so that. kind of a last of its kind is yes. how it feels, right? Yes. Last of its breed. You turn on one of those weird Viking movies that's on Netflix these days, and you're just kind of like, why is there the same fire after effects thing happening everywhere in this yeah. movie? Or it's just glossy and weird. Last of its kind is the perfect way to put this. Um, and I think the other thing I'll say that I liked about this, there's there's a few things, but I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, the motivation to tell this story, right? Like, they got a lot of stuff wrong, like you've told us, Adam. Uh, they got aspects correct. But someone was there going like, you know what? We got to tell this story, and this is how we're going to do it, because it is an important part of our history. And who cares that uh, there may be just blatant lies in the story? The story must be told. All right. So I think we need to talk about it. Okay. So, um, yeah, here's the thing, which is that it's like there's one universe in which the reason Oliver Cromwell is important in like, you know, Western civilization mm-hmm. is that he was was granted probably the the most important figure in the English civil wars or the most important parliamentarian. I mean, I think probably Charles the first was the most important figure. Um, but anyway, uh, he died. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Cromwell, you could say, was the most important figure in this war. And the most important of lasting effect of that war was to establish parliamentary sovereignty. Mm. Um, and that specifically that the House of Commons is the source of sovereignty in um, what became the United Kingdom. Um, and that wasn't actually even necessarily what they were fighting for. Some of them were kind of fighting for that, but most of them actually not. But that ended up being the de facto result of these events is that for the first time, an elected body representing the common people was thought to be the source of political legitimacy. Right. That was mm. a very, very new concept. Yeah. I mean, new concept within its context, geographic sure. and cultural context. Right. Um, and and in that sense, yeah, you are looking at the prelude of the American Revolution. You're looking at the prelude of the all of the all the independence movements of all of the colonies of the world. I mean, if these are incredibly important events. Um, and Cromwell legitimate, his legacy in that vein is mixed to good. Right. Mm. I think most people would assess it thusly. Right. Yeah. So there's one universe in which Cromwell is remember, remembered chiefly for those events. The other universe is 
what he is he's in another universe he's remembered for what he did after what we see in this movie he's sitting in that fireplace after the war he just wants peace and to sit by his fire and be at ease with his conscience until you know just when he thought he was out they pull me back in (laughs) there it is and they ask him to be king and he denies it which did actually happen that's true but it did not happen like the way it (laughs) shown what he really did he didn't go up to live a life of peace in his Cambridgeshire manor house. He went to Scot- he invaded Scotland and then he invaded Ireland. And this is really dangerous territory, but from what I can hmm. tell, the, the consensus among professional historians nowadays is that the Irish memory of Oliver Cromwell is a little bit overstated. Mm-hmm. Um, he, is, he did not quite do the massacres that he is remembered of, as having done in Ireland. Um, the particular massacres, the first one at uh, when he stormed a, a castle called Drogheda, um, Drogheda, I think it's pronounced. Um, and yes, they uh, the they they were storming a castle. They were it was a siege, um, and when uh, uh, the 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 defenders refused to uh, to capitulate, so as was generally the case in those days, well, if you if you, t- if you end up having to take the castle by force, you slaughter the garrison. Those were kind of the rules of war at the time. Um, if the garrison uh, surrenders, then they are spared, right? Those were the mm-hmm. sort of rules. But anyways, so I, I, that's that's the argument. I'm not I'm not making that argument. I'm saying that argument exists in defense of Oliver Cromwell's conduct in Ireland. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not the one making it, but people do make it. Anyway, the point know. the point is is that it's like yes, regardless of what Oliver Cromwell specifically himself personally did or did not do, the effect of the Cromwellian cron- conquest of Ireland was that Ireland's population was re- reduced as much as by half. Some estimates think due to um, famine. And uh, out migration, forced migration, being sent as indentured servants to uh, America. And that's where we get the Scots-Irish of Appalachia, where I live now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, um, all all of these things. So anyway, um, yes, anyone having anything to do with Ireland and those peoples of the world whose sympathies would be with Ireland rather than with England. And that's a lot of peoples of this world. If they remember Oliver Cromwell at all, they remember him as this genocidal maniac, which he arguably was. Mm -hmm. But he was also this other guy who did this thing that the effect of it was it was a very important step on the path toward liberal democracy, even though that is he was not a liberal Democrat. And there's there's this ridiculous scene where they're having a meeting with Charles and he says, I believe we need to move to a more enlightened form of government. Such an institution is called democracy, sir. <laughs> and like Cromwell was not a fucking Democrat. Like no, he did no. not want the people in charge. No. He wanted gentlemen in charge very much. So he and says in the movie, there must be a king. I, yeah, I know. And also th- this in a much smaller scene, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it's right before they're going to go into battle for the first time. And, Cromwell says to his son, Richard, you know, a little aristocratic shithead with a fucking, you know, Prince Charming blonde floppy hair. Um, and he says, like, where, where, you know, where is your sword, Richard? I have no sword, father. Well, you must get one and wear it. It is a mark of your rank, captain. Why the fuck does this kid get to be a captain? How does that go uninterrogated by this pro-democracy movie? It's no. wild. It no. is and that that can skate by real quick, like you said. Like oh, it didn't skate nuggets. by me. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, no, I saw it. And it's just it's the old joke that George Carlin used to say when he would get on a flight and the captain would make an announcement. and He'd go, who the fuck made this guy a captain? (laughs) (laughs) Where are your credentials, sir? (laughs) And I not disparaging area. And the answer is like Cromwell and his two sons are the only three guys in the whole village that can read. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's why they get the the positions, because they can read and write the letters to the other commanders. That's that's why they're in charge. And don't let them fool you. Nepotism reigns everywhere in every time frame. It's going to be there amongst the best and worst, depending on your point of view of people. And that didn't surprise me. It's so odd because it's like I feel like if this this movie, it it sits at the cusp. It's this weird. I think it fails because it's stuck between two eras of cinema. Mm. Right. Like. It's stuck. It's on the one hand, it's trying to be an old school Hagi- Hollywood hagiography, right? Yeah. Historical hagiography. But on the other hand, it's inching, it's towing the line toward like 70s gritty, you know, re-examining, you know, looking at the dark side of so-and-so, you know, and it's it's inching toward that but it doesn't know how to get there and so at times it kind of actually i think it intentionally hints toward cromwell being the fanatic that he was you know where he's like we will not have peace in ireland until the catholic church is crushed right and which is a hundred percent how that man felt so that man was at a war in a war against the antichrist the pope okay yeah um which i have thoughts on this in a moment, but <laughs> this movie is trying to be Excalibur, but yet wrap itself still in historical fact. And it, but it has to ignore all that to be Excalibur. It's yeah. maddening. Ooh. Yeah. Well, no. So they. So the reason that Cromwell is not shown going and doing the Cromwellian conquest of Ireland, which ended up completely decimating a nation, uh, and from and a wound from from which it's never recovered. Um, so. The reason they didn't show this is because this was the kind of height of the troubles in Ireland. Yeah. And like, I think the way that they, the producers would have said it to themselves was like, we don't want to pour gasoline on the fire, right? We don't want to flame tensions, inflame tensions. But what's really true, what do you mean really mean by that? Why don't you want to inflame tensions? You don't want people to be angry about the thing that they should legitimately be angry about. That's yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, you don't want them exactly. to. You want to hide from them a thing that they should legitimately be angry about, and that would get them legitimately pissed at you at this particular moment. And yeah, it feels what, like we haven't quite learned that lesson in media to this day. No, and it's an Achilles' heel for films. You're either going to tell a story, or you're going to tell the story. You can't do both. I and don't know. I think I think the Barbie movie came really close to doing it all, like being. <laughs> You know, the actually, st- I, mean, not seriously, like, I haven't seen it. That is that. Is, yeah. Bill worth it. Oh, because yeah. One of the greatest. Only, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, like, we could side tangent just for a moment. Like, sure. Not yeah. only is it everything you think it's going to be, but it's more because it also gives you the other side yeah. of what you it's think. The, it's it's a be. movie about the movie that it is. Uh-huh. And it's a movie about the movie that's about the movie that it is. Like, yep. but anyway, so, but yeah, the, I, I think that's where it failed. It, like it didn't, it's, it didn't know how to negotiate this weird moment and it utterly falls on its face. And Richard Harris is Irish. Yep. <laughs> Richard yep. Harris is fucking yep. Irish. Yep. And what did uh, you think uh, of his performance? Bill, go ahead. 
I'm familiar with Richard Harris. I hadn't seen a lot of his younger stuff. His performance is, it feels oddly restrained throughout the entire movie. I, he's going for super levels of earnest and passion and conviction. And he screamed on a mountain in Spain to break his voice. So he would be raspy and nearly destroyed his Bullshit. recording. Career. He was yelling in pubs. He was drunk. <laughs> you can't believe any of that shit he tells you, but I don't know. I got to say it didn't grab me. It didn't pull me in. It felt so I agree. I had the same sense. I had the same similar. sense. But again, as I've watched it, what I've read and as I've learned, read the history, it's so true to what we probably know about the guy. Like this was a big, doughy, dopey, bony guy who had this totally inflated sense of himself um, and was prone to stentorian speechifying that wasn't that insightful, you know, uh-huh. that's actually who he was. And I can't figure out if the movie is so smart that it nailed that. Or if it like stumbled bass backwards into the accurate, <laughs> you it know, characterization. Be, cause, and cause one of the things I like about this movie is the message that comes out of all the facts and figures, the story part, there is the overlying message of do right by the people. If you wanted to have just one distilled bumper sticker thing that stuck in my head, that would be one of those things. And through Harris's performance and Cromwell's voice and actions, from his point of view, you've cut out all the inaccuracies and the religious conflicts and the sheer boring repetition of it all. At the very base, he keeps that message clear and strong through what he does on screen and what he says he's trying to do, even if he's not really doing that in real life or if he did it in real life, but it's there, he carries it through. And for a movie like this, there has to be a through line that somebody can grab onto. Everybody could find a little bit different for me. This was it. And that character was compelling enough to get me through this entire movie. I I kept being on the cusp of waiting him. I kept being on the cusp of waiting for him to either break one way and fall apart or break another way and become just as bad as the boss hoggy in parliament that he's a, he's dealing with or become Superman. I wasn't sure, but the message was there. And so I did appreciate that. And when you deal with historical pieces like this, you play the hand you're dealt. So you've got to, I would rather a piece like this be true. And if Cromwell was that way, that's what I would want to see. I don't want him to be Superman. I think that the movie actually, the more I think, the more I watch it, the more I realize the movie does hint at the fact that he's a little bit nuts, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, that he does seem to fly off the handle and get irrationally crazy about things because who he ended up becoming in, in historical fact is basically like the Ayatollah of England, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, this is the guy that like, ban- this is the guy that famously banned theaters and Christmas. Uh, and he <laughs> had such a performance in how he said everything. But when the very moment when he goes to the first battle and it's portrayed as he's screaming, why are you in retreat? We're here to fight. We came here to fight. We're fighting a war. He gets rid of all the politicizing at certain points, even though it's very political, what he's trying to do. And he just cuts to this. We're going to do a thing. We need to do a thing. And that will resonate with the common viewer of a thing, because if you don't know the facts or the story, or maybe you're not even interested, you just run into it. That will ring true in your head and go, I get it. He sees a thing that to him needs to be done and he's going to do it and fuck all anybody that gets in his way. 
you definitely believe his like battlefield ethos, right? You feel right. you hear that you're like this. Oh, I would follow this guy. Uh-huh. If you know, in a battle where everyone is screaming and yelling, like I, I, I would do whatever that guy said to do. Yes. You know? Even um, if the battle, though the is, battle uh, scenes, should we talk about the battle scenes? Yeah, tally ho, in, let's ta- do it. Oh, Tim, we haven't even talked about fucking Timothy Dalton is in this movie. Young, one of my hot likes. Timothy Dalton <laughs> yells tally ho with a little dog in his arm as he charges into battle with a shiny suit. Uh, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, Prince Bill. Baron has a poodle. And Bring again, it, and it on. Would have, I want to hear would have this. Been Bill. Such an accurate characterization of Prince uh, Prince Rupert. Had he had a fucking German accent, this oh guy was God. so incredibly German. He should he, have been the most German. He should have been German von Germanstein. Like exactly, if uh, Lily von Stupp had rode onto the battlefield as his wife, I would have bought it at any moment. But, but like, he, like Rupert actually the most, did ride into battle with a yeah. little dog named Boy. Like yeah. that's that's all that shit is all real. You think you're hot with your purse dog, ladies? Check out this dude. He went to war with it. So that's uh, all fucking awesome. Again, but yes, these these battle scenes shot on the wide open fields of northern Spain <laughs> because because they needed an army and the cheapest place to get an army was Francoist Spain. <laughs> so these hey, are Bill. all fucking yeah. Frankish Frank. These are all fucking Spanish soldiers under Franco. You know, uh-huh. they're all, half of them are probably conscripts <laughs> and they're being paid to act. As 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 roundhead infantry and such. Um, we're gonna talk about the battle because uh, I think that'll be a good way to cap off the things we liked about this film. Because I mean, Tally Ho is I think on all of our lists, oh. and the dog boy. But Bill, anything that you liked leading up to battle? Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, Darton was one of them because he's just amazing, but. Just seeing the whole scene played out for what set the tone, because I didn't know anything about this movie, I hadn't seen it, and I hadn't studied this part of history. But then when they start talking about the enclosures, how they're enclosing the land, which I'm, you which get also a land wasn't grab. really. They're taking up thing a thing from a different area of English history and putting <laughs> right. it into here, right? Basically, to make it sound like the parliamentarians have a more righteous cause than they really had. <laughs> this wasn't really about the enclosing enclosing common land. No, uh, but I'm rights of pasture from the common people. Not really what this was about. No, but I'm equating the whole thing to the Lex Luthor land grab some Superman, the movie. And I'm like, so they're <laughs> building Otisburg, but, exactly. <laughs> but they're building these, they're building these fucking enclosures with balsa wood fences that look like they got them from <laughs> dollar the fences. They're, they're, they're only two feet tall. <laughs> oh and they my run gosh. These and, are the flimsiest fences. Like, like a cow is going to nudge this and it's going they're, to all collapse. They're not even a child great level of fencing. This won't keep your kid off the stairs. And they're just sticking these damn things in the ground. And the villagers like, you can't take our lands. You can't take them. And they're like, we can. It's the Lord. We're going to do it. And the dude just walks up with a with his broom and hits one. And the whole damn thing falls I down. It's like, okay, are we going to go naked the, gun on this movie? These are the people or? that brought us like hedges, like proper fucking hedges, you know? Hedges that'll cut a bitch, you know? <laughs> Jesus. This ain't it. 20, 20 foot high if it was an inch. Yeah. And it just was, it set the tone for this movie for a lot of it because it's so much talking. It's like so many things happen in this movie just because people say them, we're going to enclose the land. You can't enclose the land. Crack. Oh, we can't enclose the land. We'll leave. We'll come back. We'll figure something else out. No, we're an army. We don't have an army. We'll go get one. And it's just, it's, what the fuck? <laughs> I, when I first saw it, I assumed it must have been a stage adaptation. Uh, and yeah. I was like, this was, a, this started off as a screenplay. 
maybe that's where the fence came from because that's some community theater fence. How right is it? There. How is it that on the one hand the props department came up with that fucking fence, but on the other hand, they built a life-size set of the entire city of Westminster. Oh my like, god! Holy, the entire Love exterior it. of the entire city of Westminster built it at like at scale. Yeah, yeah. In a they, soundstage, yeah, they rebuilt Parliament. What yeah. the fuck was that? So impressive, I, and it is like kind of this, this like checks and balances that you're talking about before, Adam. Where like you have so much going for this film, so it is so weird when you get these moments like the fence that it's just like this. This is what we're doing here. <laughs> How many people agreed or signed off on this? I it's just I a don't movie know. that's just not in control of itself. It's yeah. No, it's, it's <laughs> no. And that, that, that amusing thing for me also parlays into a dislike that I have because we talked about it earlier with the look, the sound stages. You've got these magnificent outdoor scenes taking place. Mm. But like you said, Adam, they go total TOS with their psych and their garden center sets when <laughs> a couple of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When when Cromwell's son is brought back from the battlefield and it's yeah. like you guys are filming in three feet of space. And yeah. the scene where they're hanging one of his soldiers out there. For you don't, treason. you don't think that maybe they did that kind of intentionally to make it look a little Renaissance painting in that moment. <sighs> if they did, I don't think it was done well didn't because it. it's yeah. not communicated. If you had to wonder then they didn't sell it. Yeah. Yeah. There has, yeah. There has to be a reason and it can't be because they needed to do it as a pickup because clearly that's not how this works. So I don't, I don't know this. It's, it's mind boggling because you have, so much that you can do. <laughs> and every well, we time I see had a lot of, of studio interference and like an hour cut out of the film. Yeah. And there's this one, there's this one edit. There's a cut where they go from, I don't know, like a battle sequence to ang angry parliament. Right. <laughs> and like the cut is so brutal that oh. it's like this, the studio executive snuck in in the night with a pair of scissors yeah. and like snipped it. And that's how, like abrupt this cut this there's a, like an audio pop on it it's so bad it's like i'm watching uh poltergeist and it's that kitchen scene where there is like a legitimate rip in the film that no one <laughs> yeah, repaired right. exactly. uh bill i'm totally on board with that i i think that that scene is so awkward also when it could be a renaissance painting it looks like it's from the movie eaten alive by toby hooper but on a on a different level of of dislike and i love any sort of history to this that maybe you can maybe i've already learned in this episode but is it just me and i know that the pope is a is a big old problem for cromwell mm. but the evil catholic queen is yes. such Henrietta maria a, of, yes. of france yes yeah so um, evil like in this movie i know and it really looks fake it yes. seems like that's the kind of thing like a fucking male screenwriter would come up with would yes. turn Charles's wife into Lady Macbeth. Yes, right? exactly. Um, as near as I can tell, that's pretty true to like historical wow. memory. Now, wow. consider who was writing the history um, would be a bunch of fucking Protestant dudes who totally want to make her the bitch, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's totally true. However, if anything, it underplayed how actually substantive her interventions were that she, you know, Charles was a man of, in his own way, really great kind of moral strength and clarity 
and kind of radiated a certain decency that everyone who knew him kind of commented on. And especially toward the end, you know, his finest hour was his trial where he simply refused to acknowledge the legitimacy of the court. Um, and it, it ended up resulting in his death, but it, it, it made him kind of a martyr cause he, he took it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also was a shrimp, you know, he was like, he was physically small. He was kind of mentally small. Mm-hmm. Um, he was weak willed. He had everyone, you know, he, he lacked gravitas, right. Yeah. Which, um, and sort of, and Henry met Maria apparently really just had him wrapped around her finger. Um, and was totally calling the shots, like, you know, like troop movements and shit during, during these wars. So So I don't think that's really false. I think that's kind of what it was. And I think if anything, the movie could have made her a major player. I think maybe people back then had more context for the Catholic Protestant conflict. Right. Because now to, to hate Catholics just seems just like a dumb, just a dumb brainless bigotry akin to racism or something like that i'm not quite sure how much that was the case in this moment in history i could where you really had catholicism as a as a transnational political power um and people trying to free themselves from that political and economic to a certain extent yoke and that was a really legitimate fight and the movie to its credit in its own shitty school play didactic way says that he had goes off on that speech where he's like i am convinced that catholicism is not just a religion it's a political political power mm-hmm. but even i think i think probably viewers today most of us don't have at least in the united states we don't have enough cultural no, context I mean, to know I, what the fuck he's talking about like why are you so angry at the catholics that makes no I, sense i grew up i mean my family was catholic uh and you, my neighborhood you know that's how religions tend to work especially in middle america and everyone went to the same mass and church and everything and never in my life was anything ever explained to me about why anyone might may or may not yeah. like one religion over another because you grew up in the era when religion didn't matter anymore exactly and yep. and that's you know late 80s early is. 90s no one cared baby we're swinging around and fighting desert <laughs> but hey, storm here, here's a really important pivot so i was yes. mentioning how how charles the first like history records him as being this kind of underwhelming presence this per- man without gravitas right how a man like Alec Guinness is able to act so well as to inhabit a man without gravitas. Right. What fucking magic trick is that? What did you guys think of this performance? Mystified in so many ways for that same reason, because you could tell as the movie goes along, it's like, I think this King is somewhat of a milksop. I he's, he's very, He's very amicable to whoever's in the room with him. He's trying mm-hmm. to play all the angles and he's trying to do what he wants without pissing anybody off. So he's doing all these things. And clearly his wife is a factor in everything. But Guinness takes it and almost goes and embraces it and makes it a force within itself through his performance of my power is to get along. So I'm going to find my way to i'm gonna get along my ass out of this bitch one way or the other yeah and you follow him along even though he's he's clearly just he's a weasel right he's portrayed as a weasel fucking like cromwell is not it 
the move the movie tries to portray Cromwell with Cromwell with some degree of moral complexity and it fails. Mm-hmm. I think the movie succeeds at portraying Charles with moral complex complexity, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if I if I hate this guy. I'm, yeah, I mean that is you know, clear. That is clear. Um Cromwell is okay, but yeah, King Charles, you're kinda like, well, why do you guys have such a problem with him? Yeah. He at least is He's well, doing the one, his best. The one thing and they, that and Guinness, really, he, like, he plays with his kids and it's yeah. that's oh that scene where he says goodbye to his kids oh, before he goes and gets rough. beheaded. It's amazing. What a scene. It's, and those child actors did great. But when, when he's he says, on he said he says the little that little teeny boy on his on his on his lap and he says you must not let them make you king before your brother and he says they'll tear me to pieces first. That kid fucking sells it and Ooh. Alec Guinness a father in that moment would be so proud. So fucking yeah. proud that your five-year-old has taken it like a man like that. And his hug of that child actor in that moment, like, God, what an incredible actor. Like Guinness, oh. Guinness puts it forward for me that Charles I is the king. That's his bottom line. When he's on screen and he's saying, I'm the king, I don't recognize your authority. I'm the king. I will make these decisions. He knows he's being influenced. He knows he's trying to play the room. Right. But he knows also he is the king. He if is you on the fundamentally throne. believe in the divine right of kings that God selected the house of Stuart to rule over this realm. Boom. What else can you do? Right. Mm. No other power is legitimate. It doesn't matter if you have a good argument. Yeah. That's exactly. not how any of this works. Sit. I've allowed you to have a parliament. You can debate. You can weigh in on great matters of state. But ultimately, I'm in charge, and that's how this all works. And it's like if if you believe that if you if you're if you believe in that, then that is a case closed argument, right? Right. And every and you see that there's that wonderful moment where Fairfax closes his eyes in shame. You know, is the is the king says, you know, remember, I am your lawful king, and I'm asking only what I would grant all of any of you as my subjects. And in shame, Fairfax closes his eyes. And it really does such a good job of just displaying how how torn a lot of these men really were. Um, what a wrenching experience it all was. Oh. And I, I, I just, there's all kinds of little touches like that through the film that I notice as I rewatch it. And and it makes me like it more and more. And it I, is, I get madder and madder at fucking IMDb pricks who like, you know, like half of the goofs in this, like in that IMDb section are like, oh, like, you know, the the Earl of Exeter wouldn't have sat in the House of Commons. He would have sat in the House of Lords. Well, if you thought about it, this is the worst kind of pedantry. It's when you <laughs> you have a brain and you could use it to figure out what the film is doing. But instead of thinking about it, you think of like the sick burn that you're going to leave on IMDb goofs. Whereas yeah. if you thought about it for five fucking seconds, you would notice that for economy of storytelling purposes, they put the commons and the lords in the same room. The lords are on the left side. The commons are on the right side. The, the factualism, the aristocracy versus the common versus the new urban bourgeoisie middle class. That dynamic is perfectly preserved. We just see it in one room instead of two because it's a fucking movie. Shut the right. fuck up, Kevin. And they built all those sets. They couldn't, they, they maxed their budget. Let's I know. They're going to have a whole room. other hall. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. The call, the hall of Lords. I don't well, know what it's yeah. called. I don't know where the Lords meet. And that's the one Church. that has his Cromwell action figures on pristine cards and hasn't opened them. So but you're right. <laughs> it's, it's one thing everybody's got to get used to, especially if you're watching a movie, 
it's taken its pieces and parts and it's it's never going to be 100% of a historical moment if it's based in fact it's got to cut things down it's got to yeah. be so long you can't do it all so you're either going to split your movie into multiple parts in which case you go to PBS and you make a Cromwell miniseries that's 12 hours and or you do your movie yeah. and come away from it and feel good or bad about it and that's just how movies work Bill, I think you make an excellent point, and I know we all have a few more points we need to make, but should we wrap them up in a, a rating version and final thoughts of this film, gentlemen? Are we ready to do this? I believe we are, Rob. I think we can put our patented ending on this thing, and it'll let us tie up all these loose ends. Not as many loose ends as the movie has, but certainly the ones that we've brought up here tonight. So There are frayed edges everywhere. That's but, true. Bill, why don't you let... Adam and any new listeners know how we like to rate our film. So what we do is uh, we came up with a system called five nights for a dollar. If you remember the days of video stores, you might walk in looking for your movie and now you're towards the front, the back, somewhere in the store, there's a rack, there's a bookshelf of something and there'll be a movies and the sign might say five nights for a buck, pick your movie, throw down your dollar, keep it one night, keep it five nights up to you. So what's how we do it. We use this rating on just the movie. It's not related to anything else. Nothing else we've seen. No comparisons, no sequels, no nothing. Just you've come in. Adam Ragusea, you've walked in to your local video store, whichever one that was. What was your local video store, Adam? Mike's Movies and Music in State College, Pennsylvania. Outstanding. Street. Uh, North Campus Video, Columbus, Ohio. What about you, Robs? Uh, we had Movies at Home in Lee's Summit, Missouri. In the spirit of all these great temples Don't of cinema. Don't think about the name of that town for too long. <laughs> no, that's right. In honor of these great temples of cinema, you throw your buck down, you've got your movie, you've walked out. How many of those five nights are you going to keep Cromwell based on what you've seen? And I think I'd like to go first on this one, Rob. Go for it, Bill. Mm. This is an amazing thing. I love these big historical movies. I said earlier, I love Patton is one of my favorite movies of all time. And of course, when you watch these, there's similar vibes. They're big epics. We've talked about all the things we like and things we don't exactly like. But what I found myself feeling after watching this movie for the first time was this movie is a historical Trojan horse. The Mm. horse is the movie and it's glitz and it's production and all the things we've talked about that we like, but I want to know what's inside that horse because I watched this whole thing and I know from watching movies, there's gotta be more to this story. It's, it's a, it was an amazing experience to see what was going on on the screen, especially with Alec Guinness's performance, even Richard Harris's performance. It's not, emotional but on the same question i'm like in a way maybe that is cromwell it made me think is this who these people really are and hearing that little myth of historical inaccuracy i wanted to go down the rabbit hole and i did i read a bunch i followed a bunch about this back so could you not you 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 have to so while this movie just as a movie that you're watching on the couch one night yeah it's long and yeah it's a lot of talking and there's not a lot of war in this war movie for some there's only two battles only two, and it's and and that really is a detriment for timeline for me. It feels like this movie takes place in six weeks, and it takes place in what ten years. So that's weird. Well, that's, when the Francoist conscripts are done with their day, they're just kind of done with their day, Bill. Yeah, when the general <clears throat> says you go home, you go home. Yeah, and that's kind of what I did. So it led me in a new path. So for that, I'm thankful for it. Would I watch it for five nights? No, I would probably keep this movie about two and a half nights as a movie, but for what it was able to do, 
this is one of those rare movies where we get to say whatever we want about our system and it left an impact. So it's going to lead me to look into more things. And it did. So I've in my heart, I'm going to keep this movie probably forever. Oh, wow. <laughs> for the Im- I've for inflicted it upon someone else. My God. You have. It's, it's in that genre of thing that I want a movie of this type, of this caliber, of this context of a story to do. Keep learning more. It's the same reason, Adam, you said we watch war movies, World War II movies, things we know. Every time you think you know it all, you don't. You know more. And this is a thing that should encourage people. If you watch it, think about it. Think about what you've seen. And who gives a shit about whose house was sitting on what side of what in the movie? Go read about this thing. Go find out because this is the kind of stuff that made our world. And all of these people together, all this money, all this passion, it accomplished that. It won't fire you up like Star Wars. It won't make you rah-rah like Patton. But it's important. It's an important movie. So I will take it back after a couple of days of, and I've got to go back and watch that drummer on the battlefield fall down at least four more times. That poor yeah, bastard. That's so terrifying. <laughs> Do you, I have assumed that that was an accident that was caught on film. That looks like a guy who actually stumbled and like fell over his drum. Yeah, I think so. And got Sledden, trampled by, which, by some other guys. It looked like, which makes me want to go into the history of musicians on the battlefield. I know. Jesus, I was in the marching band. We never got shot at. So fucking harrowing. Do also, by the way, I think it's in, that it's in the edge hill battle um there's a shot um where the camera is under a horse yeah the, the camera is under a charging horse and i'm like how in the fuck did yeah. you do that yeah Every, everybody had With, to be drunk have you day. seen those cameras yeah those were big fucking cameras yeah those are right? the technicolor cameras gigantic stake. when he got hit in the head with that stake that looked real too yeah, there's some there's some shit happening on this screen that is in no way planned in this battle because you can't tell 400 extras exactly where to stand and sit. You're just going to go, have at it, boys, and hopefully if you're here at the end of the day, yeah. you'll get a check. So two and a half nights for me, but a lifetime impact, and it's a movie that I will return to here and there wow. for sure. So that's generous my rating. score, generous score. Yeah, what's uh, who's next, Bill? Oh, you. Oh, oh okay. Definitely sure. you, Robs. Well... I it makes me remember that history class was one of my favorite classes yet I've retained very little from my middle America upbringing. So when I have the opportunity to watch a historical drama, a biopic, whatever you want to call it, I'm on that same page. The movie can be so-so, it can be great, it can be the Patriot, you never know. But like, <sighs> if it actually makes me want to go research more about what's going on, that's a win that a lot of movies don't get me to do, right? And so I didn't have, in time of watching this and in time of research, I didn't have a whole bunch to like figure out the Three Kingdoms War, but in discussing it and hearing so much from you, Adam, that has an effect on me more so than the movie, but it wouldn't have happened without the movie, you know, like mm-hmm. it, and that's important. Sure. So yeah. I think if a movie makes you curious about something, exactly. you go, you learn about it, you have a fun talk about it. And then you go back and you watch it again and you understand it a little bit more. Yep. Well, that movie's done a good job. Exactly. And 
sure, there were things that were less than perfect in this film. And I also like that because that is funny and that is enjoyable. So, Bill, you came in at a two and a half. I think if I were to rent this for a buck at Movies at Home, I would keep it for three nights because I would want to watch it twice and I would need three nights to actually do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's why your rating system is so ingenious for this show Mm -hmm. because a five is not necessarily a compliment. Not always. Sometimes it takes five nights to get through the fucker. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I think that's why, I think that's why like I would definitely get, this is an easy five for me Uh because I think what I would do is I would like, I would watch it the first night and kind of, you know, end up like playing candy crush or something for a while for like, you know, and then, you know, forgetting about it. But then the next day kind of thinking about it and and like, you know, I'm supposed to be supposed to be at work, but I'm like on the Wikipedia looking at the mm-hmm. you know, English Civil War history and thinking about it. And then I go back and I watch it and then I watch it some more and then some more. And like, I've, I've been doing that now for like six years. Wow. Like I've been, this has been the movie I just habitually watch for like six years to go to sleep or like all oh. kinds of things. And I think that my fascination with it is in a, I think it's a better movie than people give it credit for. I think it does stand up to repeated viewing. Um, and I think when you understand the history and you understand how challenging it is to try to portray such unbelievably complex and extremely well-documented events, mm. that's one of the things about like, you know, this is like, you know, you want to, this is a war um, between lawyers. <laughs> you know at the dawn of the printing press okay all of these motherfuckers wrote books okay every single fucking black-hatted motherfucker in there had wrote memoirs yeah right so we so like you know when the king comes in and tries to uh expel the arrest the five members which is you know one of the incredibly important moments in english history um Cromwell was not one of the five members at that point, by the way, he was not important enough to be arrested at that point Ah. in the story. Um, But that really did happen. And like, you know, the King saying, Oh, I see the birds have flown. Um, uh, Where are these men? And the speaker saying, I have neither ears to see nor tongue to speak, nor uh, such as these house give me this house gives me leave. All of these is verbatim from the record of what happened in there because wow. 200 fucking lawyers witnessed every minute of it and wrote it all down, you know? <laughs> so like there's, it's not just that these events are complicated, but in fact, we know so much. And once you come to appreciate that, you can see kind of the artistry with which a lot of things were condensed, but that, and then of course there are, you know, I think Alec Guinness's performance here is, is just one of the greatest one of the greatest historical performances I've ever seen, maybe the greatest, like, and again, you know, you learn the slight Scottish accent because he, uh, although he was not born in Scotland, his father was, 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 was originally a Scottish King who got imported into England, you know, um, all, you know, all his speech impediment, you know, mm-hmm. all of that, um, d- drifting between having no gravitas and actually kind of having a little gravitas and you're like, Oh wait, Oh shit. You know, <laughs> um, uh, just, oh, it's such a triumph. Um, but I, I guess it's not so much that I like it, but that I'm fascinated by it. And I'm fascinated by it as, as a snapshot of how a, a 
a certain segment of the English people thought of themselves in the late 1960s, you know, and how they wanted to imagine their history at that point. Um, And that goes all the way from kind of trivial things to like, I mean, this is not my area of expertise, but as I, I've read, you know, critiques where it's like the, a lot of the clothing as richly textured as these costumes are, it's more kind of 19th century romantic reimaginings of what Puritans looked like than it is what Puritans actually looked like at the time Mm. and that kind of shit. Um, You know, um, so it's, it's other from that all the way to making the English civil war, a fight for democracy, right? Which it only kind of a little bit was, you know, and and again, to, to the movie's credit though, they do show they never named the character, but the guy with the most epic mullet of them all, oh, yes. the most epic, uh, who's basically playing a, a real historical figure named John Lilburn, Free, Freeborn John, um, who was kind of like the loudest of the levelers, who was calling for complete leveling of society, radical change. And that actor, who I think at the time for them would have been a proxy for a 60s radical, right? Oh, with his fucking flowing, fucking floppy hair, you know, and all the LSD he did in this film, too. (laughs) (laughs) My Birkenstocks are authentic. (laughs) So like John Lilburn was fighting for democracy or or communism. (laughs) (laughs) I guess guess there's a difference there. Uh, But, you know, but but power to the people. Right. And of course, um, to each according to his needs. Right. That kind of shit is what he was advocating. But like Cromwell was not advocating for that. Not one bit. You know, Um, that's not what most of the people in this fight were fighting for. But nonetheless, whether they intended it to be or not, the effect of what happened was this gigantic tectonic shift in the direction of modern liberal democracy. And because this story is part of that story that was tremendously important to us in the middle of the 20th century when we were trying to consolidate the gains of liberal democracy against what proved to be ultimately a very dark alternative. And I say that as someone who's like a very standard, you know, garden variety American, you know, academic lefty who has enormous emotional sympathy toward hard leftism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Someone who really, you know, when they start talking about how to each according to his needs from each according to his gifts, I kind of think right on comrade, right on an emotional level, but on an intellectual level, I know that uh, it did not go well and it kind of cannot go well. Like org theory basically now leads us to understand that it inevitably leads toward autocratic dictatorship as they're finding in China right now with with Chairman Xi. Right. So it's anyway. So like this, that's why they were telling the story at this time to kind of it was it was supposed to be a birth of democracy story. But the problem is that that's not really what the story is mm-hmm. and you can't make it that. Yeah. It just isn't that, yeah. you know, history is more messy and fucked up than that. And Hollywood was slash whatever the fucking British equivalent. <laughs> um, you know, they were, they would have been like two years later, they would have been ready to tell the real story. It would yeah. have been like so they would have been this, they would have gotten some fucking seventies auteur with it with a super eight camera to like tell the real story of Cromwell. And it probably would have been fucking badass. It would have been great. Martin Scorsese's Cromwell. Oh How, you know. God. Give me give me give me Coppola's Cromwell. Holy oh. shit. John right? Cassavetes Cromwell. <laughs> oh, Hell man. yes. So does that did you did John I catch- Hughes's Cromwell? Yes. <laughs> So you're you're landing oh, on five nights yeah. for all of these reasons. 
perfectly uh, great. That's yeah, great. so that's why I would keep it. Like I've it's it's the it's the movie that like I would keep and forfeit my deposit for. Oh hell yeah! I Mostly a because I wouldn't want to give it up, and b because I would be embarrassed to be. They'd be like, "You, this is what you kept for six months." <laughs> yes, this? it is really I'm paying eighty six. This is what you've been this. jacking it to this whole time. <laughs> like, well, well, you know those hairdos. You, you gotta. This, that's the other battle them. that was fought off camera. <laughs> well, well, Adam, yeah, this this is this is a movie that fails the Bechtel test, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit, only oh, slightly, bit. only slightly. Uh, that being said, we really appreciate you, Adam Ragusea, coming on the show. Oh, uh, I thought there was is... like a drunk Shimoda like segment. Well, let's bring it on. Let's do it. Tell me, what is your amusing moment of today? Do you guys story? have amusing moments? Yeah, oh yeah. We've just been caught up in the glitz and glam of the episode. So I forget which battle it's in. I think it's the second one. So it would have been the Battle of Naseby. That's the one where the parliamentarians win, right? Which, Uh by the way, the parliamentarians were not outnumbered. Nope. It was the other way around. Yeah. Yep. Um, But Which is, again, it's like a weird choice because it's like Cromwell fought battles where he was horrendously outnumbered, where he should not have won. And he charged with the fervor of a man who believes God is behind him. And he fucking won. Show us that battle. That's a great battle show. Yeah. You you pick the battle where he's the back puncher at the bar. He already knows the guy's down. Jesus. Anyways, so it's the Battle of Naseby, and it's 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 where they're like hiding behind. There's like a there's like a low wall, you know, yeah. like a low stone wall, and they're hiding yes. behind the wall, right? So it, go back and watch that scene. There's a there's a hat. There's an infantryman's hat on the ground, uh-huh. clearly from the previous take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I just love that that Francoist conscript was like, should I tell somebody that I forgot on my hat? <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. Nah. They tell us to not make trouble. Yeah, no, no, no trouble. <laughs> Bill, did you have an amusing moment you'd like to share? Oh, I sure did. Uh, the initial dinner scene, the grand entrance of everybody as they all come into the King's oh, court to fuck. have dinner, the giant what table. What a set piece that is. It is amazing. All the extras, the dogs, and like, Jesus. It's everywhere. It's it's opulent beyond words. It's everything they're trying to portray. And of course, as the King comes in to dinner and he goes to sit down, they all bow in respect. They do their curtsies. And I noticed somehow, I don't, I want to believe he did it on his own. The fucking dog bows. I know. <laughs> this gigantic dog. <laughs> elegantly <laughs> with this with its willowy limbs. Yeah. Like bow. He does. He and it is it is a bow. This dog is not just, oh, he's going to lay down because he gets back up and then goes to his spot and then lays down. This dog bows. I'm like, Give that, that is that dog the fucking Oscar. That mm-hmm. is the monarchy motherfucker you have yep. made it to the top when your dogs in the room bow to the I king know. that's Man. that's hail to the king levels of awesomeness it's right up there with bruce campbell my dog's just farting in my face oh <laughs> the cat would never do that no well guys my amusing moment is something i've already mentioned and we'll just i think it it's a real uh feather in the cap of this film uh Tally ho! I just I can't I couldn't get enough of it. I rewound the, it. 
Timothy Dalton as Prince Rupert as he charges into battle on his horse with his dog boy in his yep. arm with his like long rapier with the like basket hilt around it. Uh, the he game whirls it in the air and he says, the sport begins. <laughs> Tally ho. <laughs> and, and it's the thing is just like, I think maybe when I first saw that, I was like, get the fuck out of here with this shit. And then like, I read about like Prince Rupert and like, you know, he's the archetypal, um, the cavalier, you know, yeah. he's that guy, that yeah. stereotype that we have that where you think, Oh, you're just trapped. That's just like a fucking movie trope. That's like an old movie trope from like an Errol Flynn movie. This is where the trope came from. It's yeah. this guy. That's Prince Rupert. He's that, that's that character is Prince Rupert. It's this guy. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that's uh, 1970 Timothy Dalton. He yep. is, I love Timothy Dalton. I love him on camera. I've flash Gordon, James Bond. It's everything he does. He's just got a certain way about him that he knows how to play. And that scene he, where he's wounded and he's and he comes back before the king in shame and he the, turns on the real acting switch. It is the most emotional, gut wrenching scene in this movie for me because he lays it all out. It is you. I honestly believe that he's been cut open the way yes. he plays this thing. Yes, he looks he looks hurt. Yeah, very he's hurt much, physically. He's hurt so. emotionally, and when he is exiled, the look in his eye is just this dead horror. That I don't know where he reached down to get that, but yeah. it is phenomenal. It's a shame that he and Alec Guinness didn't get along. Yeah, it's, I read that they might have. Maybe I don't know. I, I'm sure Dalton was a was a total prick to deal with in yeah. those days. I'm sure they were all prima donnas. Yeah, I'm sure that but I also wonder if maybe Alec didn't feel that, you know, mm, this I is a know. younger one of me. You know? Maybe mm. Alec was on his way to the commissary. Dalton's out there and he just looks at this empty tree stump and he sticks his arm in it and he looks at Guinness. He pulls it back out. Come on, tree man. <laughs> you going to play? Guinness is like, I'm not doing that. If you guys have you guys done Flash Gordon yet? Because I'll do Flash Gordon with you like right now if you want. <laughs> Why don't we schedule Flash Gordon? Because okay, I, would, I will do that. I know right. that's on Bill's list. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So be on the lookout, listeners, for our next episode with the Goose, where we're covering the Flash Gordon. Not the, you guys know what I'm talking about. Thank you uh, guys so much for fucking yeah. indulging me and, and watching this stupid fucking movie with me. Because like I, I've been thinking of all of these things to say for the last six years, and I've had no one to say them to. So oh. thank you for letting me. You're welcome. That, I have anytime. the bluest of balls for this conversation, and I just blew all over you guys. Well, and thank I you hope for you're feeling it. some relief, and you yeah. get a little bit of R and R after this one. Thank Adam, you, why yeah. do you? If if there's anyone out there who has no idea, tell them where they can find more. Of your oh, content. they shouldn't. I I don't want any new fans. Okay, no new fans, and don't even Google him, everyone. No. Okay, no, I'm fine. Thanks. All right. Uh, All right, but if you don't want to make good lasagna for your mother-in-law and your new wife at the time, then, you know, don't go look up the goose's recipe. Fine. Yeah. You can play it that way. We can play yeah. it that way. I still make cast oh, Okay, here's the thing. If you don't know, if people don't know, yes, I, I make goofy cooking videos on the internet. I have a podcast now. Yes. That, like, is, is much tinier in audience because what it is is it's, like, it's, I, it's what it's evolved into is, like, I like a 90 minute scripted monologue with a whole bunch of like narrative <laughs> complexity and like self-referential, like internal arcs and shit. And like, it's really, it's a highly crafted thing um, that I totally understand why most of the children who watch me on the internet don't care. But if you're, you know, you're a smart person with a long attention span, 
as demonstrated by the fact that you're here. So I would absolutely love to have you subscribe to my podcast, the Adam Ragusea podcast. Um, and I, I know I can't really tell you what it's about. Like I usually talk about food, but sometimes not. Um, I don't know. I, what it is, is like, if, if you, if you, if you like me, I, 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 it's me spinning a yarn about something to the best of my ability each week. And I just trust, I hope if you like, if you like my shtick, you'll, I think you'll like that because it's, I, I, I do me well there. I whether, think, whether me is good, that's up to you. I think that's a great way of putting it. And I do think our listeners will enjoy it. So check it out. Um, it is a Bill, very good show because it was good enough for me to leave a rare comment on the YouTube channel. And that's oh, not just because that. I know Adam, the show was so good that it inspired me to leave a little, a little note of, Good job, Adam. Because did, did you get good. like an auto reply from like a fake account that, of me where I said no. that like you should message me on Telegram and I'll give you a, like a something a chotsky? <laughs> oh, good lord, no! Because I knew you're not going to read that. That was for my own self gratification. So I did it in spirit, just the way, yeah. just the way it, we like it. It is just the way we like it. And I like to say thank you to a few people. I got to say thanks to Rob Adler for helping us edit these episodes. And thank you to Draxium and Dr. Z for our theme music. Uh, I'd like everyone to tell your friends. This one's outside the paywall, everyone. So if you'd like to get more content, help support this podcast, go to BillAndRobs.com or Patreon.com slash BillAndRobs. And uh, I promise you will love it. That is a guarantee from me. And I've had to sign contracts, people. I, I can only speak in honest terms. Yeah. And Goose, you will always have a, a home here to talk about any weird movie that you yes. can come up with. Thank you. I have others. I don't Good. know. I have it's a very happen. unquiet brain. <laughs> I know that it's, feeling. It's awful. Well, we will see everyone next time on Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. <laughs> <laughs>